This is Tanakhcast. Welcome back to Tanakhcast. This is episode 26, Leviticus chapters 4 through 7. We continue with the Chatat offering. The Chatat is brought under very specific circumstances to make up for a violation of the commandments, which was violated knowingly, especially where no restitution is possible. So anyone can bring a chatat, but, quote, if the anointed priest should sin, bringing guilt on the people, the kohen would bring a chatat or decontamination offering too. It involves a bull and the requisite laying on of hands, slaughtering and blood sprinkling in front of the curtain of the holy shrine. Then, as explained in verse 7, the kohen is to put some of the blood on the horns of the incense smoking site and pour out the rest of the blood at the base of the slaughter site. The choicest, fattiest parts of the bull are burned on the slaughter site except for the skin, which, as part of the Kohen's chatat, or one on behalf of the people who sinned unknowingly, is taken out of the confines of the camp and burned. Contrary to other sacrifices, the donor gets nothing from the offering up. The chapter goes on to enumerate one other individual who might need to bring a chatat, a nasi, or a leader of the nation. Last Friday night, I tweeted a photograph of myself that I intended to send as a direct message as part of a joke to a woman in Seattle. Once I realized I had posted it to Twitter, I panicked. I took it down and said that I had been hacked. I then continued with that story to stick to that story, which was a hugely regrettable mistake. The Nasi's expiation would require a male goat. Wiener would need an entire herd. A commoner could bring a female goat or lamb. In cases of poverty, Chapter 5 tells us that two turtle doves or pigeons would do. And in chapter 6, we find that in cases of extreme poverty, flour would work just as well. The next offering is known as the asham, and it is brought to expiate sins committed unknowingly, especially where restitution is possible. So, for example, if someone witnessed some matter and is sworn to testify and does not, he must bring an asham. The same applies for an individual who touches something tame, be it carcasses of unclean wild or unclean domestic animals, or perhaps an unclean creepy crawly and he was unaware that he came into such contaminating contact. Or perhaps he came into contact with a Tame person and he did not know, but then found out later he is ashim, or guilty, and must bring in asham. Or if he makes a various frivolous oaths and was unaware that he violated them, he is ashim as well. And so the asham is offered, quote, so that the priest is to effect purgation for him, for his sin, whereby he sinned in any of one of these, and he shall be granted pardon. An asham is also an order if you break faith, that is, quote, sinning in error regarding any of the holy things of Adonai. And then there is the additional breaking faith surcharge of 20%. Or if you sin and don't even know that you did, bam, asham. Chapter 5 concludes with some asham-worthy examples of pretty antisocial market behaviors like denying that you received a deposit or a robbery or withholding property or pretending you did not find a lost object or perjuring yourself. In cases where you swore falsely about paid sums, the 20% breaking faith surcharge applies as well. Chapter 6 and 7 reiterate much of the instructions we have already covered, but this time, the perspective has shifted. We, we come at these instructions from the perspective of the Kohen. Each section begins with the phrase, quote, this is the instruction for the blah 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 offering. And between chapters 6 and 16, there are 10 sets of such instructions, or Torot, as in Torah, plural, which reminded Jacob Milgram, the world's leading scholar in Leviticus, of another set of 10 instructions, although these are way bloodier. 
Like the other set of 10, this set of 10 Torot also breaks down into two subsets of five. The first five focus on the offerings, the Ola, the Mincha, the Chatat, the Asham, and the Shalem. The second set of five Torot focus on Tum'ah and Tum'ah from animals and giving birth, skin disease, getting rid of the skin disease, and all kinds of discharges from your private parts. Mm-mm. And even though chapters 6 and 7 read like a do-over, there are some additional details here. Like the Ola being time-bound and routinized as opposed to being a spontaneous expression of the donor's emotional or spiritual need. There's also some discussion about firewood, costume changes, keeping the offering site fire burning all the time, and, most importantly for the Kohanim, which parts of which offering the Kohen gets to eat. So, there's a lot to talk about in this week's portion. Let's get to it. I mentioned last week that I had the privilege of teaching Leviticus to junior high students, and it was really tough going, as none of the kids were Kohanim, or they weren't in training to be Kohanim, and and many things about the offering process, you know, the coming near, the laying on of hands, the slaughtering and vivisecting, I mean, it captured their attention in the same way that any kind of foreign or strange cultural experience out of the everyday would capture their attention. And then it kind of flitted out of their minds. But the the one thing that lingered on, something that they couldn't really process or categorize because it was just too exotic for them, was this notion of tum'ah. I mean, they understood the concept of impurity because they equated it with being dirty or soiled. And, you know, children in late capitalist, you know, Western democracies have a clear concept of, you know, dirty but Tameh is not being dirty, and it's not even really being impure. The best analogy I could think of uh, for Tameh, for them, in the moment, was cooties. Tracy Turnblad, this is for you. They came from way far out, out of space. Oh. And with her help, they may destroy the human race. She's got cooties. And only really in the sense that if I have cooties, then I can transfer it to, to you by touching you or touching something that then touches you. And it's never good to have cooties, uh, unless, of course, you like pursuing other kids around the schoolyard. Or like Calvin from Calvin and Hobbes, you mistake the feeling of being in love with the cooties. And I'll, I'll put that link to that comic on the Facebook page and at thenextjew.com. You know, Tame is generally conceived of in terms of its antonym. Tahor. But this opposition only appears for the first time in chapter 10, verse 10. So like in the next episode. This verse correlates Tahor and Tameh with another Jewishly important juxtaposition, Kadosh and Chol, which Fox renders into English as holy and profane. But depending on your translation of Leviticus chapter 10, verse 10, you might find some interesting oppositions. And though the terms holy and sacred are often used interchangeably for Kadosh, its, op- its opposite has different implications depending on the term selected. Common is not the same as profane, which has a negative connotation, as does unholy. The same can be said of tameh. Now, considering that the normative state of being is chol, or, or not kadosh, and most folks in their everyday lives are tameh, 
to indicate that this everyday status is somehow wrong is to sort of adopt a moral stance, which I don't think is supported by Jewish tradition. I could be wrong. One example might be illustrative. Um, at the end of uh, Shabbat on Saturday night, um, folks recite the Havdalah, and it includes the, the following line, Hamavdil ben Kodesh lechol, meaning that separates the holy and the common. And this juxtaposition in, in the bracha and the blessing is followed by the distinction between light and dark, Israel and the nations, and the Sabbath, the Shabbat, as distinct from the rest of the days of work. Though one might ascribe a higher value to the first term in the opposition, preferring it in each opposition, which the text strongly suggests, this doesn't come at the expense or diminution of the subordinate, though necessary, second term. In other words, you need the former in order to really, really appreciate the latter. Although I'm still trying to figure out why I need to work in order to enjoy a vacation. I think I could do just fine with just vacation, but, you know. I need a vacation! The new Compact Desk Pro. It simply works better. I need my desk back! So when you consider these two juxtapositions, Kadosh versus Chol and Tahor versus Tameh together, what you get are all possible states of being that the Torah clearly delimits. Chol can be Tameh because of eating or touching forbidden animals as explained in Leviticus 11, or a sexual emission that's mentioned in Leviticus 15, or contact with a corpse, which we'll read about later in Numbers 19. Now, this is not necessarily a dangerous state of being as long as it's not prolonged, as we read in Leviticus chapter 5, verses 1-13. through 13. Chol can also be tahor, either through avoiding the above tum'ah-making situations, or becoming tahor through prescribed procedures. The kadosh may become chol, as Leviticus chapter 5, verses 14-26 through 26 explains. However, kadosh can never be tameh. There is no fixed boundary between kadosh and chol and between tahor and tameh, and what dictates what category something belongs to is behavior. And the movement between states is dynamic. However, the movement is unidirectional. Chol cannot impinge on the kadosh, and tahor cannot transfer its state to tameh. In a sense, chol and tahor only exist in opposition to kadosh and tameh. Tahara, that is the state of being tahor, is really the absence of tum'ah, and chol is the absence of kadusha. As such, the Torah legislates the desired direction, commanding that Kadosh sanctify Chol, and that individuals diminish Tum'ah to enlarge the realm of Tahara. But the state of Kadusha and Tahara are not sustainable. They are absolutely essential in specific contexts, such as if you're a Kohen and you're about to offer up in the dwelling, or you're the donor about to partake from the Shalom offering within the sacred confines. But for cleaning out your eaves troughs, or filing tax returns, or... I don't know, replacing a tent pole, activities that have not really any kedusha involved in them, tum'ah works just as well. So if you think about it, tum'ah is the norm, tahara is the exception, and the exceptional. As always, you can leave a comment, question, or comment at the Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash Tanakhcast, T-A-N-A-K-H-C-A-S-T. Or at thenextjew.com, or leave a comment, question, or comment at the iTunes Store, or at Stitcher Smart Radio, or SoundCloud. And while you're at it, why not leave a review? 
That way, other folks who are looking for a little Tanakh learning might discover this humble podcast and join in the fun. As always, you're invited to come back and join us next week-ish for episode 27 on Leviticus chapters 8 through 11. Come back now, here. Yeah.